Welcome to season two, everyone. Hello, hello. My name is Donna Mbali. I'm your host and producer, and I'm here today with Kay Megan Washington. Hi, Kay. Hey, season two. Woo! Remind all the good people who you are, what you do, if they're just joining us in for season two. Okay. Uh, I am, my name is Kay Megan Washington, and I am an actor both on stage and on screen and uh, as you can probably tell from my mellifluous tones uh, also in voiceover <laughs> um, and when I'm not doing that I work for the Maryland Department of Agriculture. Excellent. Um, I always ask people to introduce themselves and I realize I never introduced myself. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so. I mean you know this is your yeah, I just assume everybody you knows me. You originated this. Yeah, I yeah. did. Um, so we originated this podcast last year um, for season one. I just love uh, this novel so much, and I got into the series and realized how excellent it was. It was on an excellent trajectory. And uh, I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. I now live in Baltimore, Maryland. And I am an actress and singer and dancer, and I produce this podcast for fun because I love it so much. So, uh, season two, episode one, is titled June, which is a, a direct parallel of season one, episode one, which was named Alfred. So, uh, we started her journey in season one as a handmaid, and so the end of season one, uh, spoiler alert, you really shouldn't be jumping into season two, but <laughs> <laughs> she gets taken away in the van, which is the exact ending of the novel that was written by Margaret Atwood. She is taken away in the van. We have no idea what happens to her. Um, this is directed by Mike Barker, who ep- directed episodes four and five of season one, Nalite Tape, A Stardust Carbor and Durham, and Faithful of last season. And I think there's a lot of similarities between those episodes and this one's the way that he, the direction that he took it. Um, so it picks up right where we left off last season and the van that Offred was taken in and she's just jostling along and then there's like a little window that opens and we have like this little moment of hope then it closes again and then she's like, I, I, I don't know what's happening. So you see this like mixture of hope and fear. Mm-hmm. Then we find out, we get to um, this uh, place where all the handmaids are being unloaded and they're being rounded up and they're gapped. And they're kind of herded like cattle, and we're like, okay, something's wrong. This is definitely not right. Yeah, apparently mm-hmm. I was wrong mm-hmm. with my uh, with my crosswalk metaphor uh, <laughs> last recap. <laughs> uh, apparently they can scoop them all. They um, can. Uh, they exit out of this long tunnel, and uh, Mike Barker is the director. He's really good at this throughout this episode, building this tension. Of these, you have these long scenes with a lot of buildup, and you don't know what's on the other end. And so we get to the other end of this long hallway of them sort of being herded like cattle, and we get to Fenway Park, which is of course in Boston, and uh, we see the gallows. Oh, the gallows! <laughs> so many of them, and they put them up on the gallows, and we're like, they can't possibly do this to all the handmaids. Um, no, it's this, not all of them, just all yeah. of the ones in the Boston area. That's very true. Because um, I thought about that, too. I'm like, yeah. where are they going to get more? And then I realized, well, it's really just the ones in this section of Boston. The one so. under, like, Aunt Lydia's mm-hmm. little purview. Yeah. And uh, there's this interesting song that plays. It's called This Woman's Work by Kate Bush. Yeah, Kate Bush. 
Uh, I listened to the song in full. Uh, I've listened to some Kate Bush. Um, so if you go and listen to that song, look her up on Wikipedia. She has a really long history um, that is, you know, correlated with, you know, a lot of the feelings in this episode. And so Aunt Lydia comes out. And this is really just like a huge stunt. It's less, let this be a lesson to you. She said that there was going to be consequences, and indeed there are. Because we were unsure at the end of last episode or uh, last season uh, when they defied her and said, I'm sorry, Aunt Lydia, and refused to stone to death uh, Madeline Brewer's character, uh, Janine. So we don't know what happened to her. And they're feeling pretty powerful. They feel like they have this leverage. And now they're really kind of in digging down a notch, literally and figuratively. Um, and so this is their punishment. Aunt Lydia said that there would be a punishment, and this is it. And so it's this giant scare tactic, which I love that this show does put a lot of doubt in you. You're like, they can't possibly. Oh, I think they are. They can't possibly. Oh, they might. <laughs> so you go through this roller coaster of fear with them. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say across the board, the, the performances of all of the handmaids, um, they have like major speaking roles or not, all of them were really just um, put everything on the front of just that, that total fear and annihilation and despair, um, really crushing. And it, it's kind of a way to start off season two with this reminder. We had all of this glimmers of hope and this resistance in the, towards the end of season one. And this mm -hmm. is bringing it back around full circle, really. Like, this is, this is the type of brutality that you need to be reminded that this regime is completely capable of. That their most valuable resource, their most valuable thing in this society are these handmaids they're going to trade them with other countries as part of trade deals you know fertility and uh, child bearing is incredibly important in this culture and as part of their economy and yet this is what they are willing to do in order to keep them in line well they're really only valuable as long as they do what they're told very true um, <clears throat> if they won't do what they're told then they're, they lose their value and we and Gilead knows that there is a resistance. Gilead knows that there are people trying to get out all the time. Um, so Gilead knows they're not immune to the fact that there are forces trying to undermine the culture as much as possible. Um, as much as any regime, there's always going to be a resistance, as history has proven to us. And uh, I love our opening line here. The writers of this show always give us really, really great quotes. Our father, who art in heaven. Seriously? What the actual fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, there's the June we know and love. There's the June we know and love. And our dear writers, God bless you. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, a lot of this sequence reminded me of Cool Hand Luke, mm. that everybody looked up to him as being so cool and so together, um, and then they they kept bringing him in all broken from his from his escape attempts, and they would punish all of them for stuff that that he did. It was the same sort of a feel, sort of like, oh, you have now just dropped a notch in these people's estimation. Right. Um, you you got us into this mess, and now here we are in the rain holding rocks. Oh, yeah. 
That's brutal. <laughs> on our on our knees, <laughs> um, and getting zapped if we drop them, and uh, you know, and it, way to break up the sisterhood, man. Because yeah. you know she's holding hands with people when they thought they thought they were being hanged, and yeah. now here they are all out there holding the rocks and mm-hmm. looking at her like, "This is on you." Right. Absolutely, because she was. You know, strangely, though, I remember uh, her uh, walking partner, the uh, off-road number two, as it were. She was sort of the off more... Glenn. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, off excuse me. Mm-hmm. off number two. She was sort of the more demure one, and she really didn't want anyone to step out of line around her because it would look bad on her. And she was the first one who s- spoke out at the stoning, and she got beaten she up. She did, but she got beat up. She did. <laughs> and so it really is this whole orchestrating around you know, this is the actions that you initiated and now this is the consequence. And Aunt Lydia does play the psychological game. So in uh, the torture and punishment uh, from Aunt Lydia, the kneeling, the holding out of the stones. And she has this great, um, in her monologue about, we had these two types of freedoms, freedom to and freedom from. That's from the book. And yes. And Mm -hmm how a lot of our society in in the early days we were we were struggling towards a freedom to and what Gilead did was gave you a freedom from and if you you know throughout season one we have a lot of sentiments from both sides of what that means of Mm -hmm. what the freedom to is and what the freedom from and there's always this seesaw going back and forth in the world before Gilead and in Gilead and uh Commander Waterford in one of the scenes in his study he explains a lot of that sentiment it's like now you're free from the constraints of having to like feel like you need to look beautiful all the time and feel like you need to be a certain way and we do I think you know as women have those constraints in media and culture and in our ourselves it's you know semi-ingrained in us and it takes time to unlearn it if you've learned it mm-hmm. and uh so his argument was that this culture is a freedom from, but what you give up in the space of that is is this this servitude that no one wants. Right. So it's this concept. It's like great. It's great to have a freedom from those things, but it, it. But now we're struggling towards a freedom to have those choices to make those choices again. So it's it's this interesting interesting dichotomy that's yeah. always going back and forth and seesawing and always concurrent, like at the same time. Yeah, I think a lot of what they're talking about, even when they're talking about the freedom from, is a freedom from <clears throat> being the subject of sexual violence mm-hmm. from strangers that you don't Like, know. that never changed. Like, in the world before and the world now. Like, there was sexual violence pre-Gilead, and now there's even more brutal sexual violence. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm not disagreeing with yeah, you, yeah, but yeah. to their mind... Right. No, it's not. There are not people on the street um, grabbing you when you're trying to get in your car Mm -hmm. um, and and raping you in your car. There are not um, guys doping up your drinks in bars Mm -hmm. to have sex with you. There are not guys following you into your dorm room because you do not have the freedom to drive by yourself, Mm -hmm. (laughs) go to college, Mm -hmm. (laughs) read for that Mm -hmm. matter. Um, be out on the street by yourself. You are under the protection of the state and, more specifically, your um, your commanders. Yeah. And so we are keeping you safe, but in return for that safety, you got to do what we tell you. Right, right. It's, it's just so interesting. And 
uh, Aunt Lydia has become one of my favorite characters in the show, not because she's a good uh, person as a character, <laughs> but she has just such interesting moments. And Anne Dowd, who uh, plays her, her performance is just always incredible. And this moment she has of going to this bell tower mm-hmm. and the extreme joy and satisfaction she gets, like knowing that there is a child going to be brought into this world. Like that is, you know, you always say she's a true believer and, mm-hmm. and it is. And and she has a care for these handmaids that we've seen evidence of over and over again. But now we have sort of the realigning of what her true principles are. And that in <coughs> order to in order to care for them and to care for the children that are yet to come, that we're hoping to bring into this world, she has to go through these extreme measures. And and when she these moments to her, these, these, this cathartic moment of like, yes, she is pregnant and we are going to bring another child into Gilead. Those moments to her are worth it enough for all of the torture and pain she puts her girls through. Mm-hmm. I, I really wonder whether, whether Aunt Lydia worked for the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> like, where does she I learn mean, all that? Like, it comes so natural to the, her, she's right? She's got all this psyops stuff going, and like, I don't think any of the higher ups tell her to do that. Like, she, mm-hmm. I think she, I think she comes up with this <laughs> stuff on her own. It. Um, and, and just the way that she, I mean, best way to break up, um, Offred's leadership of the rest of them and really to split that sisterhood up Mm -hmm. is to leave the rest of them out there with the rocks in their hands, take her inside, give her some hot soup and sandwiches and sit her in the middle of the empty cafeteria and then parade them all past her sitting there eating. What a great psychological Just, game that June and uh, Aunt Lydia go through because June mm-hmm. still feels like, oh, I have this like little bit of leverage and let me use it. And mm-hmm. Aunt Lydia was very quickly to be like, okay, let me, let me show you how much leverage you actually have. Because thinking that the pregnancy would let her get away with much more, they show her into this dark room, they flip on the lights, and there is a poor young lady who is pregnant chained to some sort of rig that she has like a bed i'm assuming you know they feed her and stuff so the baby is healthy but she's relegated to this tiny you know five square foot space where she's literally chained has no human contact and it is all for the purpose of this person couldn't behave and Mm -hmm. she's pregnant and we want that baby so this is how we further control you so don't mistake that you have any leverage just because you're pregnant. Because this is the step, you, the step further we can go, this is the step further we can go. And that, to me, was like, ooh. <laughs> mm. They can go further than that. They can yeah. put a nasogastric tube in there, and yeah. then that'll be that. It's, so <clears throat> so that, that mental game of this like cat and mouse, like, how much leverage do I have? How much do I not? And then mm-hmm. that scene that in the cafeteria you're talking about where June just knows she doesn't. And it's hard to tell by uh, Elizabeth Moss, per- Moss Elizabeth Moss's performance whether in that moment does she accept or like she's just going through the motions because she has to. You know what I mean? Yeah, like they're all staring tell. at her and they burned pure uh, poor uh, of Robert's hand on the mm-hmm. stove. Very brutal. And she's screaming, and all the handmaids are looking, they're terrified, and she's facing them, eating the soup. And it was mm-hmm. hard for me to decipher, 
you know, what in that mo- what that moment was for her. What do you think? She didn't really have a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, because if she didn't continue doing what she had been told to do, they were just going to hurt them, mm-hmm. the rest of the handmaids, more, and restrict what little quote-unquote freedom she did have so I think it was sort of a, I accept this for now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a sort of a chess move. All mm-hmm. right, you got me here. You got me eating the soup, and then you parade everybody else past me to see the special treatment that I'm getting because I'm pregnant mm-hmm. that they are not getting, um, and then you're going to burn of Robert's hand. <laughs> and that extra layer, layer right. of mm-hmm. that June was the one that sort of initiated this whole yep. situation. So yep. a lot of layers there. Concurrent, concurrent with this storyline of what's happening um, in Gilead um, is the flashbacks that we're getting. Uh, more of June and Luke's life together with Hannah um, in the, towards the beginning of the episode. You know, Hannah's mm-hmm. like not feeling well. And then there's an interesting point where she said, oh, you know, I have to go pick up my refill for my birth control and I need your signature on the mm-hmm. paper. Which to me was like, Oh, okay, like, I know what they're getting at. Like, the culture has definitely changed. But I have an interesting story that my friend once told me. Because mm-hmm. that's obviously not required now in order to get birth control. Mm-hmm. But I had an interesting story my friend once told me about when she uh, tried to get uh, her IUD for the first time. She mm-hmm. went to a hospital that was a Christian hospital. I don't recall the name. But uh, in her consultation with a quote-unquote doctor... There was, like, a barrage of, like, nuns coming in and, like, just all this stuff. Like, it was very uh, emotionally traumatizing for her saying, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, what is your lifestyle? And, um, you know, just I'll have to, like, refresh my memory of this, of what the specifics are. But basically, like, shamed her and into, like, wanting to get this form of birth control. And it was very traumatizing and shocking to her because she had gone, like, why are you, you know taking my appointment for this and of course the sole purpose was to get her in the room and to try to convince her to not get the birth control which i thought was like highly like i'm sure that's illegal like but i i mean certain things are so gray area like especially if you're a christian institution and registered as one you have certain gray area when Mm -hmm. it comes to certain you know, procedures and medications and birth control is very, very contested in our society still today. Very, very contested. So it was very shocking to her in that moment. Yeah, that she but had... I mean, there's a major Catholic hospital in this city mm-hmm. that um, will not do tube tying. So mm. let's say that you're already open from a cesarean. Right. And you're like, hey, since, since I'm open, might as well go ahead and tie my tubes. They won't do it. You have to come back and do it. You have to Go get it done because that is else. a common procedure for for yeah. a lot of people who have cesareans. Uh, they won't do it. Wow. Um, First, I've heard of that one. That hospital not offering that service. They will not do it. Interesting. So you know, be so, careful. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, so it's providers. it's not that far. Um, just to fast forward a little bit, and this mm-hmm, is actually mm-hmm. in the in the second episode, but you know, we think of this as being way far in the future. 
what was June watching yeah. at the end of the second episode? She was watching Friends. She was watching a rerun of Friends. And what I wrote down in my notes was, Friends lives on in reruns forever. <laughs> the future so it I want to live in. It can't be, but so far into yeah. the future because reruns of Friends are still on. Right. I think it was a DVD, though, wasn't it? Well, it may it? well have been a DVD. Yeah. But even so, there's a, fine, there's a DVD mm-hmm. player that still she works. Was, it was in her consciousness. Like, she knows what right. the show is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm like, mm, listen, that far. And so Hannah gets sick, and we have these scenes of her in her office, and she has like an assistant, I think. So she's, you know, this showing this working woman, and you know, uh, a lot of mothers can relate to this. You're at work, and then your kid is sick, and so you got to leave work. And um, sh- there's this interesting situation that comes up. It's not so simple. She's gonna go pick her up at the school. She now has to pick her up at a hospital because she couldn't be reached. Her phone was in her purse, and. Uh, they couldn't reach her, so they called an ambulance. I don't know if this is ever a thing. No, in pre- it is a thing. It is okay. Um, even as recently as my brother uh, fell off of the sliding board mm-hmm. and broke his arm, mm. and um, his school put a called an ambulance, mm-hmm. put a teacher in the ambulance with him, and took him to the emergency room. They called gotcha. my mother to let her know where he was, gotcha. but they were pretty sure his arm was broken. Oh, I see. So that's not completely right. out of the realm, but, seems, but to do it for a fever right, seems a, a little fever. much. That, that, I think, was the thing that was the scariest about this whole sequence that you're talking about, was that's kind of extreme, but not so right. far. What's interesting as we dig into this world, I think I was trying to, watching these two episodes that came out today, like what is the timeline that we're working with here? So Mm -hmm. in present day, quote unquote, it's from when June gets taken to the van onwards, that's all linear. And then Mm -hmm. as we're going in the flashbacks and also in um, episode two, we also get flashbacks of Emily. It's like post, it's like when the attack happens and post that. Right. So everything before... um, I don't want to say. So after they like um, try to escape and all of that, mm-hmm. we've covered that. So we're, we're going just like a little bit before time of that happening, right. of when they try to escape, when things get truly bad. Um, so in this first episode, we have this sort of culture change happening. Mm-hmm. And you sense that, like it's super extreme that they call an ambulance for a fever. Then she gets to the hospital and she's going through these questions of basically this nurse or whomever is taking care of Hannah while they were waiting for June to arrive of like, oh, she your biological child? Oh, like super passive aggressive. Um, mm-hmm. Do you work full time? You Oh, did you medicate your child in order for you to go to work? Um, you know, we just want to make sure she has fit parents. And uh, she keeps calling her um, Mrs. Uh, Bankole, which is mm-hmm. Luke's last name. She's like, no, my name is June Osborne, mm-hmm. which is, you know, very modern. You know, women can keep whatever names they want to keep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're getting this sense of this, this, this pull from this person who is asking these questions. So June has this, like, disconnect between, like, being a totally completely normal working mother and this person who's trying to like pigeonhole her into you know the choices you're making is not appropriate to the culture of what we now know as Gilead of like you know women not working and taking care of their children full-time and all of that stuff and I have a lot of moms uh friends 
who talk a lot about, you know, ending this sort of mom shaming thing that happens Mm -hmm. of judging other moms for their choices and the way they raise their children and just, you know, I'm not personally a mother, but I mean, even just from what I observe, I can see that, you know, how damaging it can be to have other moms you know, why are you not doing it this way? It should be this way. And so I think every family unit is different. And so we have to respect that that person is trying to make the best choices for them and their family and doing the best that they can. Because honestly, I am, I don't have children. And to do all of the things that I need to do in one day with no child running around is really difficult for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we take for granted that the amount of time and care and mental and physical and emotional energy it takes to take care of a family. And for whatever financial reasons for your family, you or personal reasons for fulfillment, you know, that's important too, of whatever work it is that you do, you know, for financial or your career and whatnot. It's going to be different for every family. And I think that is a, a conversation that a lot more moms are having about, you know, respecting and supporting each other rather than sort of this tearing each other down and that motherhood has to look like this perfect Pinterest page, because it's definitely not. No. Um, so that's... <laughs> it very rarely is, that's, honestly. That's the vibe that I got, <clears throat> was that definite mom shaming of, like, her her choices. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was... There were a couple of things that I found really creepy about this episode. Mm-hmm. Well, a few, more than a few things that I found creepy about this episode, um, particularly in the flashbacks. Creepy thing number one. Um, having been under the impression, partially from the way that it was portrayed last season and partially because of the book, I was under the impression that all of the stuff that changed culturally changed after right. the big revolution mm-hmm. with the Congress being blown up and so on and so forth. But no. This stuff has already started well before that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to the point where people are accepting of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that when she says, hey, you have to sign my refill for my birth control, Luke's response is not, what the hell is this? I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Call your doctor. That's just stupid. It's more along the lines of, oh, they're doing this now? Yeah. That it was progressive. Okay, fine. If that's what I got to do. I mean, that's really dumb, but I'll here, I'll sign it type thing. Um, it goes back to what uh, Abigail and you said in one of the recaps that, you know, you put a frog or a lobster in a slowly boiling mm-hmm. pot of water and eventually you're cooked. So this is sort of the lead up to that. But I, I do think that's interesting, this like in-between culture, mm-hmm. because I think in a lot of ways, a lot of our viewpoints in our culture right now is sort of in where this is not as extreme that was creepy thing number yes. two was the discussion <laughs> that they were having about she goes you know unless i just don't fill the birth control mm-hmm. i have friends who have had conversations about do we want to bring another child into the world mm-hmm. in the world of trump right now oh. i do not like the way that things are currently mm. going Things are a little weird around here. I'm not liking the way that things are going now. Mm -hmm. Should we go ahead and have a kid now or should we wait? If we wait, we might not be able to have another one because, you know, we're not as young as we used to be. But if we have it now, I'm just not real 
thrilled with the way that the direction that things are going type thing. So the conversation, I was like, wow, I've heard that conversation. I have not heard that conversation. That's eye-opening, <clears throat> but it, it totally does make sense for sure. And I think to have those choices is what that family planning is all about. And, mm -hmm. you know, people who are against contraception, a lot of their argument is, I feel mostly religiously based. And uh, if you take that away, I mean, there's a plethora of reason why family planning and those options that are available to us is so beneficial, not only to that family in particular, but as, as, as society as a whole. And it has a lot of, you know, great positive rippling effects. But mm -hmm. we get really cornered into this really tight argument over whether it's morally, you know, acceptable. And right. uh, to have those choices, I think, is really important. And I think most people would agree that uh, to have the choice, whether it's good time or not to have a child, whatever those reasons are, is really what the crux of the argument is. Because w to have those choices allows you to advance um, economically or in your career or to uh, any number of reasons. So I agree with you that in this time, if people are really frightened, if you're mm -hmm. in a position where you feel like you are one of those groups that potentially can be targeted and not feel safe, and uh, that is a scary thought to me, that people out there would really feel like this is not the right culture we want to bring our child into. And it's totally valid. That's their choice, and, and that's what choice is all about. And mm -hmm. that that is a frightening conversation to me to hear about, for sure. So, yeah, but um, I really wonder whether that was the same hospital where she went to go get Hannah when she was sick. I wonder mm -hmm. if that was the same hospital she was born in. Remember right. from last yeah. season? Where the she yeah. the woman tried to steal her out of the out of the nursery, I don't know. It's just interesting. There's got to be more than one hospital in Boston. And and their needs, <coughs> they, they know that this world has kind of changed a little bit. And June's like ready. I'm like I think I think we should. So there's this excitement and hope. And then later on, when she gets Hannah home from the hospital, is when we see the news reports of, okay, this is the moment in time where the attacks are happening mm -hmm. live, moment by moment, and you can just see Luke glued to the television. So the attacks we heard of from before in season one, where they attacked Congress and then the White House and the Supreme Court, this is the moment that these things are happening for real in this timeline, quote, mm -hmm. unquote. So she's putting Hannah to bed, and he's explaining, you know, people in the gallows of the Congress building just came in and killed a bunch of people, and then there was an explosion at the White House. So it's that juxtaposition. They had so much hope of like, oh, we're going to try and have another child. And then that middle point where this person is shaming her for her life choices of being a working mother. And then she comes home and literally the entire world has changed. Mm -hmm. And so they've instituted martial law and they're hearing about all of this like through the, through the news reports. So it's just like, oh, in one day, like really your whole perspective in life and this 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 decision you were so excited about in the morning has just completely changed now and I don't think that uh, June and Luke would I think that becomes like not their priority on their mind is to try and have another family at this point uh, no yeah yeah 
choices. Um, back in quote-unquote present day, we are back at the doctor's office, so I guess Alfred has been reunited with Serena Joy. And <laughs> oh, Serena. I love and hate you. And we see definitely the dark side of Serena in this moment about reminding her about their deal, about keeping that baby safe, and she'll keep Hannah safe. And Fred is there, and they have an ultrasound, and they get really excited about this baby. I mean, obviously, Fred and Serena, not June. Mm-hmm. And so, and then you see the, in one scene, in like the span mm-hmm. of two minutes, Serena goes from like evil witch to like, you're an angel. And I'm just fabulous character. Well, <clears throat> there was a line in there. <laughs> yeah. Careful, Serena. Don't get upset. It's bad for the baby. Oh, yeah. I was like, ooh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> Their power dynamics still haven't changed, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Then we get to the big thing in this episode. So we had lost all hope at the beginning of the episode that June was escaping. And then this random assistant dude was like, Godspeed, June. And we're like, oh, he's a spy. He's a spy. <laughs> and we're like, but what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. So she, and, and I think that's interesting choice of words, Godspeed, because that's not a word we've heard in the show before. And it's something as a colloquialism we say nowadays, you know, mm-hmm. Godspeed is definitely not in the canon of, of verbiage of uh, language that this mm-hmm. culture uses. So it was distinct in that way. And then he obviously knew her name, uh, which he's not supposed to know. And there, we find the key that's dropped in her boot with like this little red sticker. And then it becomes a trail. Follow the trail. Follow the trail. Um, And uh, there's these little red dots everywhere. And eventually, I had mentioned earlier about Mike Barker doing these really long scenes with a lot of tension. And she reaches the end of the long hallway. And nope, that's not the way she's supposed to go. And she has to go the other direction. (laughs) We're like, oh, she's going to get caught. She's going to get caught. She's going to get caught. I was completely convinced somebody was going to come up and grab her. And she makes it to... The meat truck. And she is off in the meat truck. Her second truck. Of the episode. Of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and she still doesn't know where she's going. No, not at all. Um, eventually, they make it to a safe house. And it's the butcher from uh, the butcher from, I forget which episode, the one where he hands her off the letters from Jezebel's. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's an inside guy. And he's uh, the butcher. And so he brings her to this building. And Nick is there waiting for her. So we have a reappearance of Nick, um, my love, Max Minghella. <laughs> he says, this is Back Bay, which is an area in uh, Boston, greater mm-hmm. uh, area. And, oh gosh, this scene. So she takes off her clothes to change into not handmaid's clothes. And she burns them. And there is actually this, uh, if you're on Hulu and you go to your little extras tab, there is a um, inside the episode and the main is producer. Is there? Is there an Easter egg? Uh, he, it's like the executive producer. Um, he just talks about a little bit about the episode. Not too, too, too I'm much gonna revealing. I'm going to have to check into that when I get home. Um, but one thing he says is like, it was probably not the smartest thing for her to do to burn her clothes, but she does it anyway. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's true. Uh but to be free, and she says that, you know, my name is June Osborne and I am free. And so she burns her clothes and, oh, the scene where she takes her tag off. 
her tag off of her ear. She Mike Tysoned herself. It was gross. A lot of blood. God. Yeah. 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 That was very, very difficult. And the lengths, so, like, I don't, I feel uneasy at this point. I'm like, I still don't think she's fully safe, but she is going to do her darndest to get rid of everything that is from her life before. And that's, like, the final straw. I mean, you know, to get rid of that tag, which is, you know, a very difficult to get off. That's the, really the only, that's the only way. I mean, unless you had one of those special tools, I'm sure that exists to, to get it off. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a really very graphic and emotional scene that really served, I think, her character and the storyline really well. Like, the, really the lengths that she's going to at this moment to to be free in every sense of the word, really in every sense of the word. She's away from the house, the, her commander's house. She's mm -hmm. away from the people that hurt her. She has burned the clothing. And she this cut is, her hair. She cut her hair. So this is, this is really the last signifier, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a pretty important one because anyone walking down any street can see that and know, you know, what her place is supposed to be. So she's really gone through everything she possibly can to free herself of whatever has been before and to try to step into the now and, to the, and that feeling of freedom. It's, uh, she's feeling that this is the next step of her journey, that she's not going back under any circumstances. But here's the problem. Although, you know, I don't, we don't know this mm -hmm. and maybe we will find this out. Are there any people who look like her roaming around the street? now because mm -hmm. <laughs> she has short hair now mm -hmm. she has no ear tag mm -hmm. she has like normie clothes clothes on she is not a, clearly not a wife mm -mm. or a martha mm -mm. or a handmaid or a, a, an aunt mm -hmm. or <laughs> a guardian or she has no uniform she would be unsafe by the way that's what I'm saying, is that, yes, she has freed herself, but she has essentially imprisoned herself because she can't go outside now. Right. She, she's got nothing that says, unless there are people roaming the streets that look like her, which we don't know. We haven't seen any. And I think I get what <clears throat> the executive producer in that little Inside the Episode snippet was talking about. That's not smart, because, like, if you're a handmaid, then you can just put on the handmaid thing and be like, I'm lost, or, like, we're transporting this handmaid. There's a measure of, like, you can wear it as a costume now, and mm -hmm. now she can't because <laughs> she's burned them. Good job, too. But, you know, it was important for her to do as her character. All right. Well, that has, I think, taken us through everything of uh, season uh, season two, oh, episode one, titled June. Um, stay tuned. We'll be right back for episode two. Thanks Yay. so much. Thank you so much for listening to The Handmaid's Podcast. This is Donna Ibali, your host and producer. Thank you to Kay Megan Washington for joining me for this episode. Welcome to season two. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and like our page on Facebook at The Handmaid's Podcast. You can also email me at thehandmaidspodcast at gmail.com or you can send us a coffee at ko fi 
facebook.com slash the handmaids podcast please leave us a review on itunes we'll give you a shout out if you do let us know what you think about season two so far we record at the look on media studios in downtown baltimore maryland our logo is designed by Jocko Strakal, and our music is by bensound.com. We'll be back.